I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman and welcome to the PR Weekly your weekly fix of PR industry news, analysis and gossip. I'm joined by my colleague John Harrington, editor of PR Week UK, and today we're going to discuss agencies expanding abroad, whether the industry is up to scratch on the climate crisis situation and communications around it, and we're going to take a special look at the COVID situation in India and how agencies and journalists are coping over there. Now, John, it's been a very busy start to the week on news front. But more importantly, we can now visit restaurants and bars. Um, our work lunch is back. Have you got any planned? Well, we're recording this on Wednesday. And by the time this comes out, I would have been to my first work lunch. Uh, and I've also got a coffee appointment on Thursday and I've got a drink on Thursday as well. So it does wow. feel a bit like we're back. That, 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 is, that is back, isn't it? In, in a big way. Anyone, anyone you can mention? Yeah, well, actually, it's uh, Avenir Global. Um, Avenir Global, which uh, you may well know for a couple of years, has owned um, Hanover uh, Communications and Madano um, and uh, Cherry and Axon. So this is a holding company um, based in Canada. They have moved all of their UK agencies into a new site uh, on Bankside by the South Bank. So I'm going to be meeting them there, uh, checking that out. Given the world tour, I hope. <laughs> so there you go, folks. Um, the green light is now officially switched on. You can take us out to lunch if you please. Right. Um, so let's crack on, John. At the start of this week, we had two agencies sort of expanding their operations abroad. Uh, Milk and Honey has opened up a presence in New York, while One Green Bean has expanded into Amsterdam um, you know, with, with a decent office size of around five people. Now, last week, um, the Welsh agency brand content also moved to Europe in Berlin. It kind of feels like this could be a bit of a trend to look out for as sort of UK agencies adjust to a post-Brexit world. What is your take on this? Yeah, well, it is, it is interesting. Our top 150 research that we um, we did earlier this year found 
Around one in eight um, UK agencies plan to open an office in Europe within the next two years if they're not there already. Um, and 3% in, in that already have an EU office plan to open another one. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's not an insignificant number of, of agencies are planning their first um, venture uh, into the continent post-Brexit. So, um, I mean, several that we've spoken to say it's important to have an EU presence. Um, and that's, that's what clients say they want for big global and kind of regional EMEA Europe briefs. And broadly speaking, I think we're getting, very much getting the impression, this is probably quite obvious, but Brussels is the most popular spot for public affairs um, and possibly corporate as well. Um, and Amsterdam seems to be a real draw for creative comms. Yeah, I think Berlin's another one that, that, that a few are sort of eyeing. I mean, I know that's where brand content went to. And, and I think in the past couple of years, we've seen a few move to Berlin as well. Do you, do you get the sense, I mean, I know it's really early days and I don't want to make any sort of sweeping you know, statements or anything, but I, I do speak to a few people who might suggest that it's it's important for agencies with sort of you know pan-European or, or even global clients to have a base in Europe because, you know, London previously was that gateway, um, but it, it, it probably, due to the, you know, the friction of, of, of borders, uh, probably isn't taking that role as well as it used to. Is, is that the sense that you get? Yeah, I mean, and, and linked to this is the fact it's a really competitive market at, at, at the moment and agencies want to gain whatever edge they can. Um, boots on the ground in other uh, significant markets is an important feather t- to their bow. I mean, that's not a new phenomenon. But as with much, I think Brexit has, has sped things up and COVID probably has as well, I would say. Another one actually that that, that sort of came out in, in our um, top 150 research was Dublin, um, actually, because Dublin is still a part of the EU and it's obviously geographically much closer and probably culturally a bit easier for some of these agencies to open up shop. Yeah, I would say so. Although I think you're talking about sort of cultural thing. I mean, I, I think that Amsterdam is... Um, in, in particular, as known as, you know, a very a, a sort of a easy environment for uh, UK agencies to open. I mean, it's it's been a sort of a creative hub in Europe for a long time. And there are a lot of lot of ad lands there. And um, um, it's a sort of manageable size of a, of a city. Proportion of people who speak English is extremely high. Another trend that we've seen um, uh, this week as well, particularly earlier on in the week, was a flurry of senior moves. You know, we've, we've had some leadership changes, for example, at the communications division of Unlimited. Um, also, MNC, Saatchi, Talk, Headland and Brunswick. Can we read much into this, John? I think we can read a few things into it. I mean, actually, a few agency bosses have, um, have asked if I know of any decent execs in the market recently, which I think is a, is a good sign. Um, it shows that there is uh, there's a real kind of need, um, really strong need to have good talent. And again, the top 150 research, um, which admittedly was a few months ago, but I think it's, it's even more so now found the importance of, of recruitment um, as one of the biggest challenges for this year. I mean, I think there's a real land grab for talent at the moment. Um, and I think it's across the piece as well. I don't think we can say it's only one type of comms professional that people are after. I mean, there's a general focus on growth with the sort of the opportunities at the moment and the the opening up of uh, markets uh, in the sort of COVID era, particularly in the UK, less so in other countries, admittedly. But, you know, the States is somewhere where there's we're seeing, going to be seeing similar things. What about in terms of rank, though? Sorry, are we looking at senior highs here? Are we looking at mid-level, mid-management or junior? Where do you see that the most demand for talent? Well, I mean, I think I think it's across the board. I think there's a lot of sort of junior and mid-ranking um, staff to sort of service these accounts is, is very interesting. And another interesting point is when a lot of the kind of senior hires, when they are happening, they seem to be kind of uh, have an element of restructuring and they're sort of new new hires and a few of them actually recently have had the word growth in the title 
Um, MSC Saatchi Talk and Porto Novelli recently are both um, hired two very senior people in the industry to sort of focus on growth. So I don't think that's a coincidence. I think there's a sense that agencies need to bulk up in all areas. And part of that is is in a senior area. And to be honest, I think sometimes agencies feel like they, they need senior people to sort of really push this growth forward. But sometimes it's not that easy to give them a title because if you've already got an MD, you've already got a CEO. Um, and I think putting growth in someone's title is a, probably a good way to show that they're important, but also in a way that you hope doesn't tread on the toes of the CEO and the MD. And these things can be awkward politically. So I think that's a good sign. And it's, it's not just agencies, we're seeing it in-house as well. Um, but there's really a sense that it goes back to the amount of pitches, really, and new business opportunities and, and increasing demand for for varied skills at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it certainly it certainly feels now anyway that, you know, whatever hesitancy there was from clients last year in terms of pitches has well and truly gone and there's a lot of pitch activity going on. I know for a fact there's there's a lot of, you know, creative comms teams, for example, who are desperately looking for more talent and who have grown substantially. So I, I certainly feel like, you know, much more optimistic about how the industry is recovering and, and how the industry plans to sort of rebuild and, and grow grow for the future. I think that's right. And I, I think the sort of the creative side is, is interesting. Consumer comms. I mean, um, I, I think there is a, probably a link to that because last year, um, a lot of the agencies that did put staff on furlough, there's a very good chance that that was weighted towards more of the consumer side because that was where a lot of the kind of brand marketing spend was cut um, in the sort of uh, in the depths of kind of the lockdown last spring. So there is a good chance that those people have now got jobs elsewhere and those agencies that would have understandably made put staff on furlough uh, at, at that point and would have made redundancies in some instances, they're probably thinking, actually, we need to get more people back. So I would imagine there is probably a link there to the consumer side. But it, but it is a good sign because it shows that the kind of um, the opening up of the economy. And this is where I think probably there is more of a consumer bias towards these things, because we're talking about uh, bringing back a consumer spending. We're talking about shops opening. We're talking about hospitality opening. There's a very clear link here to consumer spend and to brand marketing rather than the sort of corporate and crisis and, and other areas that have been more uh, prevalent and stronger during the sort of the height of the pandemic. Do you want to know another area that's that's really growing at the moment, John? Go for it. Climate crisis comms and ESG. I mean, we've seen this trend for a while now. A lot of agencies are, are looking to build their sort of sustainability creds, if you like. Um, some are opening new practices. Um, others are just hiring very senior people. But one thing that, you know, that has happened in, in recent times is there's been a lot more focus as well in, in terms of how crisis communications has evolved. Now, the PRCA released some very interesting research earlier this week about climate crisis comms. Um, which found that six in 10 PR professionals are concerned clients are too eager to jump on a bandwagon talking about the climate crisis rather than acting. Um, some other interesting findings, I'll just quickly go through them. Um, 17% said their clients' knowledge of climate change is incorrect or misinformed, and 39% feel some hesitancy over advising clients um, to contribute to the discussion because they don't feel that they're an expert. Now, um, I spoke to uh, Don't Cry Wolf boss John Brown, who has sort of led the PRCA committee on this, and he says that there is a lack of knowledge and skills in the industry uh, when it comes to climate crisis comms, and far too much focus is on trivial activities. Now, the example he used uh, was you know, a major energy um, company was focusing on activities around bamboo coffee cups, when actually it's decarbonisation, um, which is where the discussion needs to be. What's your sort of take on this? 
Well, I think it's an interesting point, isn't it? And it um, it does kind of make you think of that really good new Greenpeace video uh, that shows the amount of plastic that the UK deposits elsewhere per day, is it? And it, it, you see it filling up kind of Downing Street and um, and all the rest of it. And it does kind of link to, you know, excerpts of what the government say about, you know, we've got to tackle straws and all of this sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, straw, straws, single-use straws are, are, are bad. But there is probably that sense that some governments and some companies are focusing a bit more on smaller things that are nevertheless important but aren't as fundamental as some others. And there's also a sense that this could be passing the buck. If the government's saying single-use straws are bad, then in a way they're t- saying to industry and they're saying to individuals, you need to act on this. So I can I can see why. Um, and obviously there is, there is in- industries and individuals do need to act. But I can also see how there is um, this sort of temptation to kind of um, focus on things that don't quite get to the heart of the issue. It, it almost feels a bit like, uh, I, I guess I hate using the term jumping on the bandwagon, but sometimes it does feel a bit that way. Uh, and the thing is, like, you know, this this year, there's COP26 in Glasgow, which is a huge event. Um, and and cl- the climate crisis is just, just going to get more and more, you know, extreme in, in terms of how we need to tackle it. It really feels like this is an opportunity for UK PLC or UK businesses in general to really start, do, how, you know, taking some meaningful action. And, and communicating those effectively. So I, I think the industry really needs to get this one right. Yeah, I think so. And I think with the sort of newer agencies that we're seeing forming and with some of the newer divisions that, that have been launched in established agencies, there is such a, there is such a focus on, on ESG. Um, and it, it feels like this has been one of the most significant changes in the industry in probably the last two or three years, where it's it has gone from being, you know, the sort of vague thing of purpose that, is all can always be interpreted in different ways. And this is um, a sense that concrete action is needed and that the best agencies are trying to find a way to, to help deliver that concrete action. But as usual, it shows that the, the comms industry is, is ahead of the game. And cer- certainly um, it needs to be there to sort of guide organisations in the right way and not sort of take part in the greenwashing that we have seen in, in, in some places. Yeah. Well, well, the good news is, John, the PRCA, and I'm sure others, but the PRCA are sort of planning to do things to help improve the situation. Um, John sort of sent me a list of things. I'll just go through some of the key ones. You know, they're, they're looking to bring in genuine experts to provide easy access to insider knowledge, um, more case studies from the industry that focus on genuine climate action rather than intent, um, best practice guides that will help um you know, navigate things such as net zero and and hopefully an event at COP26. Well, one of the points he made that, you know, I, I thought was quite interesting um, about what everyone individually can do, he said, be brave to share the unsexy story, not just the one that your hipster mate will give you the thumbs up to. Very John Brown and we love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can't disagree with that. Right. Before we um, speak to our guests in India who are joining us shortly, I just wanted to discuss a very powerful piece of work that landed on Tuesday. Um, now, I, I, I wasn't living in the UK at the time, but you might remember, John, 15 years ago, you know, the death of promising young footballer um, Kian Prince, who passed away tragically. Um, you know, he, he was involved in, in, in a violent uh, knife crime incident. Well, his life has been commemorated 15 years on um, by him being recreated as a professional footballer, 30-year-old professional footballer, on FIFA 21. Uh, have a listen to this. My name is Kyan Prince, and I am a professional footballer. Or at least I would have been. Had I not been killed when I was 15. 
There's two stories I want to tell you about my son, Kayan. The first one is about how he lost his life to a young person carrying a knife. But I want to tell you the other story, the more powerful one, about the man he was destined to become. Everyone used to talk about Kayan, how much of a wonderful talent he was, and he was always destined to play at the top. Were he alive today, Kayan's hard work, positivity and his talent would have seen him become one of the stars of the game. Understand that everyone's got what it takes to become a pro baller, but everyone's got something that they're good at. So stand tall, stand strong, and let that be your story. Your only story. See the man Kyan was destined to become. Find him in FIFA. The face of JD in match attacks and on the team sheet at QPR. So the campaign, you know, was sort of conceived by engine creative duo uh, David D. Love and Richard Knott. Um, and, you know, it was an idea that they sort of first hatched at the end of 2019. They told me their thinking was, you know, they, they had this idea where they wanted to imagine what it would be like to see Kian at his peak um, as a QPR footballer today, because he would be, you know, peak of his career. They collaborated with EA Sports and QPR to bring this to life um, in FIFA 21, which is a really, really good channel for young kids um, at, at that sort of age that the Kian Foundation is targeting. The other thing they did as well, which is quite interesting, is they also got um, him a match attacks card, yet again, um, a direct target um, for the age group. And, and this campaign has had absolutely incredible media attention. You know, every major newspaper, all the major TV networks have picked it up. Um, you know, MHP's done a really good job leading the media strategy on this. But yeah, just to give you an idea, John, of how popular this has been, uh, I tweeted an article about it yesterday evening, and it has had more than 200 likes on Twitter. And, and I've never seen any campaign piece that I've put on social media um, remotely as, as well liked as that one. Uh, what, 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 what is your sort of take on the campaign, John? What did you like about it or dislike about it? Well, I loved it. I mean, I think it's one of the most moving campaigns I've seen in a long time. As I said earlier, we're recording this on Wednesday, which is the day of our Purpose Awards judging. And I think the new campaign encapsulates what a great purpose campaign is. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing cheap or quick about this or wokewashing, for want of a better term. You know, it's, it's the culmination of a long, detailed process. And that, that really comes out. I mean, it, it took over a year, didn't it, to put it all together and you know, there's sort of the dialogue from, uh, there's obviously been so much dialogue with people directly affected by the tragedy. And, you know, it's combined with a genuinely creative idea, um, a really important message delivered creatively to a big audience, you know, and, and it also positions EA Sports in a positive light. So it's, it's, it's superb. I mean, I think if people are looking for a case study of a really good creative campaign that includes a commercial organisation, it includes a charity, and it's got wider sort of um, public good ramifications. Then I, I think this is uh, this is this is the one to look at. Yeah, and, and what I, what I really liked about this this campaign is how it's it's sort of turned a real tragedy, a real human tragedy, into a story of inspiration 
to encourage young people to make the most of their talents, which is exactly what the Ken Prince Foundation is all about. So, you know, when you look at knife crime and a lot of the campaigns that are out there, they're, they're often quite grim campaigns. Um, but this actually is more uplifting. It's a much more promising message and, and it feels much more inspirational. And I, and I really hope it, it has it resonates more with young people and has really good cut through. Yeah, I agree. I think that with any sort of pu- public health, public message type campaigning, there does need to be that that mix of obviously sort of hard hitting things that show the realities, but also uplifting things. You know, it's it's almost like social norms, isn't it? If it's normal to not get involved in knife climbing, you know, it's it's normal to have aspirations and to succeed and, you know, to see all the wonderful things that um, life can can bring you, then I feel that that is as powerful or more powerful a message than the more um, traditional hard-hitting stuff. So, yeah, you're completely right. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Okay, fantastic, John. Well, thanks for joining us again and um, enjoy the rest of your week and your newfound freedom of lunches. Thanks, Arvind. You too. Today... We're going to take a look at how India is handling a COVID and humanitarian crisis and what this means for PR agencies and journalists operating over there. Since April, it's been widely reported a new variant of the coronavirus is ravaging the country, with the death toll rapidly rising towards 300,000. Experts predict the actual death toll could be far greater. Now, I've been watching these scenes from London and it's been heartbreaking with footage of makeshift crematoriums, hospitals overflowing and people desperate for oxygen tanks. In India, public anger is starting to boil over, with some blaming the government for mishandling the crisis. So I would request Modiji... This woman took to Twitter in desperation to highlight the urgency. Hospitals so crowded she couldn't find a bed for her mother she feared was slowly slipping away. It led to her chilling plea for the Prime Minister. If you cannot advise me, sir, then I would request you to legalise mercy killing in India because you have no idea what the common citizen of India is going through at the moment. We are struggling. To find out more about the situation on the ground, I'm joined by Hill & Knowlton Strategies' India CEO, Abhishek Gulyani and freelance journalist and media consultant Shabrit Kaur. HK has three offices in India, including in Mumbai and Gurgaon, where Abhishek is based. Its clients include Wipro, Morgan Stanley, and LG. Shubrit has worked as a news anchor for Thomson Reuters, NDTV, and as a journalist for the Economic Times and financial publisher VRL. More recently, she has been working as a media consultant based in Mumbai. Thank you both for joining us. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, thank you so much, Arvin. Thanks, Arvin. Good to be here. Right. To begin with, I wanted to ask both of you how COVID has impacted you personally in recent months. Shubhreet, let's start off with you. Uh, you know, Arvin, when lockdown hit uh, last year, I think overall, a lot of people had, I think, a slightly more positive outlook because it was the first time it was happening. We knew it was happening across the world. Uh, we all were doing what was needed to be done, which was stay indoors. And despite it being a really tough time, uh, I think there was a sort of a camaraderie between people across the country that, you know, we're going to get through this and we're going to do our best. But this year when it's happened, I think it's hit everyone a lot more because everyone has already spent a year pretty much indoors and emotionally I think this was a tougher time even though in terms of the physical aspects of being indoors we already had practice personally I you know April was uh, emotionally tough for me as well Uh, I had been volunteering uh, too in uh, you know to uh, using my uh, audience online because I have a decent amount of followers uh, to find resources for people who urgently needed them and that also I think takes a toll because now you're in touch with families that are in panic are trying to look for things after that though since then onwards it's been a bit better and I think everyone had a better handle on things yeah Okay. Abhishek, what about you? How has it been personally? I think what Shabrit said about how it's been much worse this second time. I mean, it felt like in February that India had kind of gotten over the worst of it. How, how has this sort of been for you? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I was in the unique position of actually taking over this position in the middle of the pandemic. So I joined like May of last year. Uh, right. And therefore it meant that it brought in an added challenge of taking up a leadership role where everything was very virtual. Right. Uh, mm. Because lockdown had just kicked in last year of 2020 March. Uh, and for me, I think the most important opportunity uh, was at that time start looking at uh, the well-being and safety of uh, our colleagues and then also look at our clients and see, you know, because this was new to them and what are the anxieties that they're going through, right? Uh, at a personal level, obviously, I was directly, uh, you know, impacted. Team support was very good and, you know, managed to kind of get through that phase. But, but I think if you look at an organizational level, for me, I mean, impact to every employee is very personal to me, right? I mean, anybody who gets impacted feels as if I'm getting impacted by it. And for that, it meant that, you know, both at the country level, which is me, and at the regional level and at the global level, our leaders had to be kind of currently on a daily basis be be doing their check-ins, right? Mm-hmm. And also then to create an environment where there is a sense of belonging and everybody in the team feels that we're in this together, right? So therefore, you had to, uh, you know, we had to kind of plan forums where, uh, you know, we were all coming in together as a group. Uh, there was collaboration. So there was a lot of uh, initiatives that were taken in to kind of bring in or for, for our colleagues to start thinking that we're in this together. It kind of created an environment for us to even more strongly think about collaborative culture. Uh, right. And, and try to bring very closely how you work uh, based on empathy. Right. And I think that has been the most successful point uh, for us as an organization. Okay. Well, what about in terms of safety? I imagine that you would have probably everybody working from home. Has there been that that sort of lockdown situation or have you had any office work during this period? I think the best call we took was from March of last year when we kind of decided not to open our offices uh, physically. And we kind of continue to do that uh, till now. And I think uh, safety comes first. 
so when we kind of get the direction from uh you know from at a wpp level or at the government when it's absolutely safe to go back to office is when we will uh, will do that so uh, for us it's very clear across delhi bombay uh, delhi mumbai and bangalore uh we will continue to keep our offices closed till it's absolutely safe for our, our teams have you found with this current wave where where the situation has gotten really really bad has that in 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 some ways hindered um your ability to do your work and and to serve clients during this period have you found that you know a, a lot of people's priorities rightly so are, are on you know their own personal self safety the safety of their families has has there been much more interruption and 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 difficulties this time i mean let me try to put this in perspective for you right i'm just picking up with what uh, shubhik was also saying right i mean it you have to look at it from three key areas right i mean in, when in 2020 kind of covid had happened we were trying to figure out a way to uh, get our colleagues to adjust to working from home right the second was you know in in the middle of the year this is towards the end of the year and early beginning of 2021 is when there was a bit of an exhaustion setting up across with people just too much of virtual too much of webinars too many webinars happening and things like that right but i think this part which is from april onwards has been severe because colleagues are now beginning to get directly or indirectly getting impacted right from that perspective i think it's become even more important for us uh, to understand a be very empathetic to that situation and also clearly understand how to strike a balance between and be very mindful of personal and professional space for for our colleagues right uh then from a work perspective i think purely from that line i think uh, we've been very successful in kind of maintaining our business continuity and we've kind of not lost any clients we managed to retain our clients uh we've kind of found that balance between uh, growth and being cost prudent uh and that kind of took a greater meaning during the pandemic right and uh, you know despite the restrictions that were there we were able to grow retain our existing clients and in fact uh, be very healthy on our uh, on our financial numbers how do you strike that balance um of of giving you know your employees the space and support that they need that is one of the key areas that we focused on you have to continuously hear your people right in terms of and then be proactive in terms of how do you react uh to give you an example when we started off last year and people were working from home we heard that and we said okay you know virtual let's start kind of looking at how we could reimburse that for you how can we start looking at a more collaborative culture start bringing in that in when this year it started and i think the immediate support that came in from more from medical aid perspective uh, you know at a wpp level we we all came together uh, we started looking at more at a more holistic medical support system we kind of bought in the 24/7 emergency ambulance services across 100 cities uh, and many more initiatives right which i can talk about and i think also kind of realize the fact that mentally it's affecting our our colleagues and therefore we kind of introduced regular circuit breakers so what was introduced that every day uh through the week uh, you know everybody was given an hour off uh from computer right from the screen time and then we went into four days a week uh model uh sometimes uh, you know colleagues would say that we need a break and we would kind of understand that so i think you had to kind of react to what uh colleagues our colleagues were doing at a group level and also at an individual level Shubhreet, um, I just wanted to ask you in terms of some of the challenges you've faced and some of the challenges you've seen in, you know, in the media and and, and elsewhere. What, what what have you found to be the biggest challenges? You know, I think uh, it's very similar along the lines of what Abhishek said. Uh, you know, when the second wave hit, because it took such an emotional toll, and one of the primary reasons which you also mentioned that it took an emotional toll is, you know, during the first wave, uh, for a lot of people, there was a COVID case, uh, with a friend of a friend. 
or a friend of a family member. But in the second wave, uh, it's become more direct. It's first connection, there's close friends or his family and then, you know, severe cases as well. And that also adds on to what you've already been dealing with, which is working from home, managing kids, managing your house, managing all of that alone, right? Uh, and that emotional toll is what I was seeing in the media industry. Like I'll give you an example of the influencer industry. In April, uh, a lot of influencers, I would say this for majority across niches, be it fashion, be it travel, be it uh, parenting, uh, they just weren't making content. And the reason they weren't making content is because no one was motivated or felt like it. Content felt like a very trivial thing to spend time on. No one had any energy or interest in doing it. As uh, agencies or even as a social media consultant, uh, that was something we all had to take into effect. And, you know, when we were talking about collaboration, the work, everything was put on hold. Everything that was even shot before the second search started was put on hold that let's not post it right now. It's not the right environment. It's, you know, we have to be more sensitive to the issue. And social media was also flooded with COVID news, everyone's personal experiences. So even in, let's say, the parenting niche, etc., they were influences in other countries saying, you know, currently we don't want to post about our lives because of what's happening uh, in India. And we know our friends are stuck there and we don't want to, you know, hurt their uh, emotions by showing that our lives are normal, whereas they can't have that and they're literally drowning. So that was the extent that it actually, let's say, travel borders where people felt it, but they also cut down on content. So that is definitely something that happened in the social media industry because of which work had slowed down quite a bit. But at the same time, a lot of people rose up to the occasion and uh, used their uh, influence to help out in the process. Can you give us some examples of, of how influencers have been helping spread the right sort of information? Uh, so yeah, this is a bit of a gray area. Uh, I will say this because uh, this you know, when it comes to information online, there's always going to be right and wrong information that comes out. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, what had happened when vaccinations were being approved? Um, unfortunately, uh, one thing that should not happen under a situation like a major pandemic is that both the uh, ruling party and the opposition need to be working together. But unfortunately, that case did not happen. And we had a lot of people in authority uh, create a lot of doubt about the vaccinations that were being approved in India. And these mm -hmm. are all on record. These are all covered in the, uh, in the media. Their statements were covered in the media. Uh, and that created vaccination hesitation uh, in the country. Influencers, though, were trying to raise awareness, saying, please get vaccinated, please get vaccinated. There were reels going on. There were posts going on on the advantages, why it's important to do so, why you should not be scared of side effects. So they were trying, but then sometimes it's very difficult to drown out the new, uh, the negative uh, impressions that have been created in the news. Abhishek, I want to bring you into this um, whole idea about the challenges that um, sort of government and public health authorities face when it comes to spreading um, important public health messaging in a country the size of India with 1.4 billion people. Can you give our listeners a sense for some of the challenges that they face? Because I'm sure it's very different to what we're used to in the UK. One thing you could kind of address is from looking at the perspective was that when you like in this scenario, when you're disseminating information, right, or when you're communicating, you have to look at various aspects of where the communication will happen with the public and uh, various other stakeholders that are involved in this, right? And that you could look at from an opportunity perspective or a challenge perspective that the government, both at the central level or the state level, could face, right? Uh, so, I mean, you know, and that could go at various stages of how COVID was kind of coming up uh, from 2020 till now, right? So I think the initial part was around information regarding do's and don'ts, uh, you know, what do you do during the pandemic, uh, you know, wear masks, uh, sanitizers and things like that, right? Social distancing messages. And I think that kind of came about, right? 
you know, as the pandemic kind of starts spreading through more, it's more about uh, hospital beds and other needs that are coming through. Uh, more importantly, around uh, daily status of COVID-19 cases, you know, both uh, announcements that are happening at the center and the state level. Uh, more importantly, also, I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, fighting misinformation, uh, uh, that's very, very critical, right? And uh, how do you also kind of correctly uh, keep the information going regarding, uh, you know, restrictions, uh, lockdowns and curfews, right? And I think uh, that I think is only possible where both center and the state governments are involved in constant communication uh, with the public and, 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 uh, and various other stakeholders. And I, you know, I'd like to believe that I think the governments both again at the center and the state have been doing their best in this scenario. Okay. What about in terms of social media? Uh, one of the, the major causes of misinformation spreading about COVID in the UK, for example, and, and I dare say in, in my home country of Australia, has been social media and, um, you know, a, a lot of things being spread there without being challenged or, or you know, things like WhatsApp, exa- messaging apps like WhatsApp. Uh, what, what, what's been the situation in India? Has there been a lot of misinformation spreading on social media channels? Uh, I'm not sure if I would say a lot of misinformation, but I think that it would be um, incomplete information. I think the problem we have over here is incomplete information. Um, I posted this on my stories uh, the other day is that I firmly believe that we need to constructively criticize when something is not being done. I'll give you an example. Uh, I personally feel, this is my personal opinion, uh, that the government early on last year itself on vaccinations were approved by WHO, a couple of vaccinations were approved, should have given a free hand to companies, to organizations to source these vaccinations from the companies that are making them at their own cost and be able to vaccinate their employees and maybe even their families, right? This, this would have taken care of a reasonable chunk, if not a huge one, reasonable chunk of people getting vaccination, reduce the burden of uh, vaccination costs for uh, center and state governments. And there are many, many companies in India, which I know still want to do this, would be more than happy to do this. Companies have been investing in medical care during the pandemic for their employees. Uh, so this is something that the government didn't do, which I feel they should have done. And it's a suggestion and I feel it's constructive criticism. But what is happening more on social media and WhatsApp is, uh, you know, like rants or I would say, you know, stuff like, oh, the government can handle it. Our country is drowning. Uh, this is not being done. They're best not available, which is further creating panic, not realizing that a pandemic of this size for any country, it's been difficult to handle. There is going to be no government that can handle this perfectly. Okay. Amishik, I wanted to ask you a little bit about in terms of how you've been advising your clients um, during the COVID period and campaigns. Have you been doing many COVID campaigns? Um, what have you been saying to your clients during this period and what have they been asking of you? First, let me start by basically saying that, you know, all clients uh, have been extremely supportive uh, about the pandemic, right? I mean, uh, I've had genuine cases of clients actually coming back and saying that we're kind of stopping work for about, uh, you know, 15, 20 days. And let's see how it goes out in June uh, to see how, you know, the pandemic's reacting. And we want to give that as a uh, space time for, or, you know, some mind space time for, uh, for our colleagues in India and, and, you know, including the PR agency. So I think that I think has been, has been wonderful. And, and to be very honest, that's been across uh, the client space. So, Everybody's been very receptive in that sense of, or, or very understanding uh, in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also one of the things that you would have realized that a lot of the clients, and I, I mean, and I mean organizations across, I mean, my clients versus any clients across the world have been very inclusive and very, very forthcoming in kind of coming in support 
uh, right? Whether it was the wave last time or uh, or this time, right? Where the wave is, uh, the, you know, COVID-19 wave is even more severe this time. So there have been various uh, fundraising campaigns that have been done, uh, you know, essential medical equipment, supplies, and most companies are doing their bit for the country, right? Uh, that's mm-hmm. part one of it. Uh, the second part of it is, I think, uh, the, the, the advice has been to basically, you know, have empathy, right? I mean, if, when you're dealing with uh, journalists, when you're dealing with agencies or the ecosystem overall, when it concerns communication uh, in that sense, I think the, and 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 also, you know, you know colleagues, for example, we, we work with LG, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And if you see they've kind of, in, in, in the first wave that happened in 2020, uh, they had kind of taken a big initiative around supporting frontline workers. Uh, very recently, they have kind of announced a, a funding of about $5.5 million, where they're actually supporting 10 makeshift uh, hospitals for COVID relief in India, right? And uh, I have Qatar Airways uh, as a client, which basically has uh, you know, agreed to ship medical aid and equipment uh, in the country free of charge. So, so there is support and there is understanding that companies across the world and India have and are and they're coming out fully in support of this. Okay. Shabrit, have you got any examples of some campaigns or some work from, from brands or, or companies that, that during this period that has really sort of stood out for you or impressed you? There was a case that had come up of a kid who needed, uh, you know, a very expensive treatment. And because this was for a kid, one of the PR agencies that I work with, uh, everyone donated one month's salary and we also amplified the case. We have to first acknowledge the fact that, you know, I mean, this the pandemic's kind of impacted the entire every facet of human life right and working life is no exception to that right and i think it's important that for us to kind of support people in general and also families because as uh, you know Supreet also mentioned that it's 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 a lot of the impact is very direct uh, you know this time so i think if you look at it from the perspective of how do you then evolve support right and i think initially when the pandemic started hitting a lot of the queries that were coming from people colleagues was around medical aid uh, right, and that's where you had to kind of look at solutions. So, for example, we started looking at uh, medical support system. We bought in a twenty-four-seven uh, emergency ambulance service, which is spread across hundred cities. Right, uh, and then we started creating help desks. Then, uh, you know, the next part of it was around vaccination because then the vaccination drive had to be started, and a lot of the lot of the audience that exists uh, in agencies would be, and at least I can speak from an HMK perspective, is is 18 to 45, right? So we had to kind of then therefore take the initiative of driving education sessions on vaccination. And then also when it looks at the financial aspect, we had to kind of look at how do we bring in a COVID relief fund, uh, you know, which will directly kind of support uh, colleagues and their employees. As we move forward, I think a lot of work has to be done towards the mental health. And that's where assistance programs will come in a lot uh, because that's where the areas are, you know, going in. And uh, what we've done overall, and as you know, just to give you an example directly, is that through our John uh, Hill Foundation, we've kind of contributed about $25,000 to America Cares, which is basically looking at, uh, you know, uh, life-saving equipment, supplies to health facilities and frontline uh, healthcare workers. And also, you know, then do employee donation matching uh, through for America Cares and through America Cares again, which is up to about $10,000. So, Overall, I think the point is that both at the corporate level and at the agency level and overall, I think everybody's kind of coming in and doing their best both to their immediate colleagues and also trying their level best to do what they can at a country level. 
Um, just for our, our listeners, is there any place that they can go to if they would like to help India tackle the crisis in any way? Is there a website that you can recommend? You know, so there's obviously the PM Cares Fund, but there's also Hemkun Foundation that is doing brilliant work in India right now. Uh, Khalsa Aid is providing free uh, oxygen lungers. So there are plenty. If you actually just research online, I would say go and check out a verified one. But if you look for donation links online, there are some very active ones uh, which will pop up and they are doing amazing work across the country. Shubrit and Abhishek, thank you so much for joining the PR Weekly under such difficult circumstances and being so candid and open with your views. I hope that next time we catch up, it's under much happier circumstances. Um, take care to both of you and I wish your families and colleagues good health. Thanks thank so, so much, Arvind. I'm afraid that is all we have time for today. If you'd like to read more about the Kian Prince campaign or any other major stories this week, please visit our website, prweek.com forward slash UK. Uh, the PR Weekly will be taking a break next week as we are holding our major annual conference, PR360. You can find out more about the event and tickets uh, by visiting pr-360.com. I'd like to thank our special guests from India, Abhishek and Shabrik for joining us and my usual sparring partner, John. Also, a big thank you to our producer, Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will join the PR Weekly in the first week of June. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.